On his 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oreo Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen. Softball update. You did oh, I not- thought that was like a breaking news thing, but you went for the softball update. I said on the most recent podcast that I was going to have a little noise for that, and I delivered. The last softball game you were not in attendance for, but uh, we won yet again, Brendan, and I think it was partly because you weren't there. I went one for one, only one at bat. Wow. Tough. I think mostly because I wasn't there is my guess. Yes. I mean, in fairness, we haven't lost when I have been there, but I, I you know, we your hypothesis is still, but sure. We have two ties. Yes. So, I mean, that's basically like a loss. Sure. But we are undefeated, technically. Yeah. All right, we're going to skip right through the softball talk pretty quickly because we got a lot of news to discuss, things to discuss on this Mass and All Access podcast. We are going to talk about some of the promotions that we've seen on the Orioles farm system with a Colton Kowser. We're also going to talk a little bit about Grayson Rodriguez's rehab assignment, pitching in Aberdeen on Thursday. But we have to start with the breaking news from last night. Rockabaco reporting that Gunnar Henderson and D.L. Hall are joining the Orioles' taxi squad in Cleveland today and could be activated tomorrow when the rosters expand on September 1st. D.L. Hall, of course, already made his Major League debut a few weeks ago in Tampa. But Gunnar Henderson, the fans have been clamoring to see Gunnar Henderson in an Orioles uniform, and we just might get to do that very soon. And not just the fans have been clamoring, we have been clamoring on the Mass and All Access podcast to see Gunnar Henderson. If you're confused at all by the taxi squad, it is a little bit confusing. Essentially, the way that you and I are looking at this, Paul, and, and what we are assuming the Orioles will do here is that Gunnar Henderson and D.L. Hall will not be in the lineup or available out of the bullpen for tonight's game. Well, they can't be unless... Right, unless there is a last-minute injury or anything like that. They are just on the taxi squad for right now. But the purpose of putting them on the taxi squad is so that they will be ready to go for tomorrow's game, which is September 1st, which is the day that rosters expand from 26 to 28 players. With Gunnar Henderson, you will have to remove someone from the 40-man roster. There are a couple of possibilities there that it could be. There are a few struggling bullpen arms that you could look at or you could remove an infielder that's currently a AAA, like a Richie Martin or a Jonathan Arauz, but you don't have to worry about taking somebody like a Tyler Nevin off of your 26-man roster. You can just wait until tomorrow when those rosters expand, and then Gunnar Henderson and D.L. Hall become number 27 and number 28 on the active roster. And when we were making our predictions and I was looking ahead, at the beginning of this week and saying, all right, when might the Orioles add a Gunnar Henderson to their 26-man roster and their 40-man roster? I was looking at this series in Cleveland and saying, all right, if they did it before September 1st, they would have to, like you said, make two moves. They would have to remove somebody from the 26-man roster in order to fit him, and they would have to remove somebody from the 40-man roster. However, if they wait for Thursday 
and September 1st when those rosters expand. They only have to add Gunnar Henderson to the now 28-man roster and the 40-man. They only have to remove one person from the 40-man. They don't have to take anybody off of the 26-slash-28-man roster. So they wouldn't have to take Tyler Nevin and send him back down to the minors, like you said. They would probably look at somebody else on the fringes of the 40-man roster who's currently with AAA Norfolk. I think of guys like maybe a Lewis Head that could be on his way out. We'll see what the roster move eventually is. D.L. Hall is already on the 40-man roster, so you don't need to make a move there. But I was also looking at it and saying, all right, Thursday is the final game of the Orioles' three-game series in Cleveland. Then they come home. And I was wondering if the Orioles would really throw Gunnar Henderson into a situation where Thursday morning he's flying from Norfolk to Cleveland and then having to start in that night's game and then flying to Baltimore with the team on Friday and starting in front of the home crowd at Camden Yards. That's just a lot of travel to throw at a 21-year-old kid who's making his big league debut. So by doing this, they're getting him there a day early, and they're avoiding having him start back-to-back days where he's in three different... Back-to-back-to-back days where he's in three different cities on consecutive nights. I'm honestly just a little surprised that he started last night's game in Norfolk. Because why are you starting him for game one of that series and then just immediately sending him to Cleveland, I I would have thought that if you were going with that plan, you would have called him up on Tuesday, yesterday, just left him on the taxi squad for two days, and then called him up officially on September 1st. I don't know. It was just a little confusing I don't think that it- he traveled with Norfolk for the first game of their series last night and then gets the call today when it's not an off day or not the first game of a series. I don't think you want to keep him inactive for that long. Other than the All-Star break, these guys almost Well, it's only never, two games. Yeah, but they never get two games off, you know, sure. in, during the course of a big league season. So you're going to try to get him as many games as possible before you call him up. I suppose they could have kept him out of the lineup. But again, I also think that would have raised eyebrows from us. It would have created speculation going into the game last night. And it probably would have had... Brandon Hyde answering questions about where is Gunnar Henderson. We saw he's not in the lineup. This way, he plays in one final game at second base. They call him up today. He gets one day to acclimate himself to the big league clubhouse before he starts back-to-back games. Well, I'm not saying just keep him out of the lineup. I'm saying just don't have him travel with Norfolk for the start of that series. Just add him to the taxi squad like a day earlier. Right. Not that it makes that much of a difference. We're still very happy that Gunnar Henderson and D.L. Hall are getting this call at this point. It was just a little bit confusing. Right. I, I think that they just want to give him as many games as possible. Sure. Uh, because, again, he has not played all that many games in AAA Norfolk. It might be hard to remember because of simply how good he has been for Norfolk. So this call is deserving simply because of the production and the talent that Gunnar Henderson has. We know that he's the number one prospect in all of baseball, according to Baseball America. He's a top five prospect in all of baseball, according to MLB Pipeline. 21 years old, a fresh 21, a new 21 years old, is awfully young to be joining a team in the middle of a playoff race. But that is what they're going to have to do with Gunnar Henderson because, one, he deserves the call. And two, the Orioles need a jolt on offense. Similar to how they did a couple weeks ago when they called up Kyle Stowers, this offense is in the midst of some pretty large struggles 
with Ryan Mountcastle going through a pretty big slump himself. Austin Hayes hitting a little bit better, but still slumping. They have just one hit and one run last night in the series opener in Cleveland. And with the pitching being this good, especially the starting pitching, it's frustrating to see the Orioles lose games. And all of these games down the stretch are going to matter. And if Gunnar Henderson can give you anything in the final few weeks of the season, then that would be an improvement over some of the production that they've had from their lineup as of late. I mean, the Orioles have 10 losses in August. Seven of those 10 losses, the opponent has scored five runs or fewer. I know five runs is still a decent day offensively, but if your starting rotation in your bullpen is holding teams to five runs or fewer, that gives you a pretty good chance to win a lot of baseball games. And the fact that seven of their 10 losses, the opponents have scored five runs or fewer, tells you that the pitching has not been the issue. It's been the offense. Like you mentioned, the middle of the lineup has really struggled. Ryan Mountcastle and Austin Hayes were supposed to be top five in this lineup consistently and producing like they are middle of the lineup bats. And they really haven't been since the All-Star break. Austin Hayes was somebody that we talked about as a potential All-Star at the beginning of the year and has really fallen off. And Ryan Mountcastle had a better first half of the year than a second half of the year, but again, has just really struggled since the All-Star break. And I think over the past few weeks, as we have continued to see Gunnar Henderson mash at AAA Norfolk, you were nitpicking to find reasons that he wasn't at the big league level. This is a guy with an OPS close to 900 who has not faced a pitcher younger than him for the entire season, Bowie or Norfolk, has not faced a pitcher younger than him. How does a hitter with an OPS close to 900 at AAA not provide at least a spark to the Major League lineup? And it's possible that he struggles. We have seen great players struggle for the first month of their season. There's only about one month left. Ben Palmer on Twitter pointing out Aaron Judge hit 179 in his first month in the majors. Mike Trout hit 170. So there is no guarantee that Gunnar Henderson is going to get this call and like the world on fire, but it's at least worth a shot. I'll repeat the refrain that I've been repeating over the last several weeks, which is that not only is there no guarantee, not only is it possible that he will struggle, I'd say it's likely that he will struggle to start his big league career. You mentioned Mike Trout, Aaron Judge struggling, Adley Rutschman struggling for the first month of his big league career. Julio Rodriguez, who's also in the American League Rookie of the Year conversation, struggled for his first month. We saw Spencer Torkelson struggle. We've seen so many top prospects, regardless of how ready they appear, struggle in the first several weeks or months of their big league career. And with really only four weeks left in the big league season, it's incredibly likely that Gunnar Henderson will not be able to get his feet fully under him until maybe the very end of the season, or perhaps 2023. So this may not give you the kind of production that you were hoping to get if you were trading for somebody. It's not like you're adding somebody via trade who's an established big leaguer at the deadline. It's not like you are activating somebody from the injured list who is an established veteran. You are throwing a 21-year-old into the fire. But the important thing is this is not just a move for the playoff race now. This is a move for the future. This is looking ahead to 2023 and saying, maybe if he gets one month in the big leagues, regardless of how he performs to finish off 2022, he'll be a little bit more prepared. 
he will have a little fewer fewer jitters going into 2023, and he will be a little bit more confident and know what he needs to work on so that 2023 comes and he hits the ground running. And he is off and running to start next year, and that gives you a better chance to be in the playoff race from start to finish. Yeah, we've seen the Orioles do that with prospects, too. I think about last year when the Orioles called up Gunnar Henderson to Bowie at the tail end of that season to try to make a playoff push and try to get Gunnar Henderson some experience at that upper level. We're going to talk about Colton Kowser and Joey Ortiz in a little bit. The Orioles doing a similar thing with them, where there is not a lot of minor league season left, but you're calling them up to AAA Norfolk so that hopefully they have a few weeks of experience there so that next season they are able to really thrive at that level. And hopefully Gunnar Henderson is able to do the same thing now at the major league level. I could be wrong here, but I believe he becomes the youngest player in the majors once he gets promoted. He's younger than Wander Franco. He is younger than Vaughn Grissom, who just got the call in Atlanta. He's younger than Riley Green. I could be wrong there. I just can't think of anybody else younger than Gunnar Henderson. I can't either. Considering he just turns 21. I can't verify, but I can't either. That's just kind of my speculation based on pretty poor research, but I believe he becomes the youngest player in the majors, which is incredibly impressive. It is. And the question also is, where did the Orioles play him? I see we're, we're getting a lot of comments on Facebook and YouTube Live about whether he takes Rugnet Odor's everyday spot at second base. We saw him start for AAA Norfolk last night. By the way, he did have three hits in that game last night. A good send-off to his minor league career, we are assuming. Probably going to be the last minor league game we'll see him in for quite a while. We've seen him play shortstop. We've seen him play third base. We've seen him get a couple games at first base. Where will Gunnar Henderson play the bulk of his games over this last month? The Orioles do have to make a roster move. They have to remove somebody from the 40-man. People are suggesting Rugnet Odor could be that removal. I tend to think if we get to September 1st and Rugnet Odor is still on this roster, I don't see them removing him. I know he has had his struggles at the plate, but I think the Orioles believe too much in what he brings to the clubhouse to then remove him from that clubhouse with just a few weeks left in this playoff race. I think if we were talking about who does Gunnar Henderson need to replace on the 26-man roster, it, it is an entirely different conversation. But when you were looking at purely the 40-man roster, which is the move that they need to make to add Gunnar Henderson to the team, again, you can look at some struggling bullpen arms that are in AAA, like Lewis Head. You can look at some infielders that are probably not going to be providing you much value in the majors this year, and maybe there's just too crowded of an infield at AAA Norfolk for Jonathan Arauz or Richie Martin to stay on the 40-man roster I think those moves make a lot more sense than removing Rugnet Odor from the 40-man roster. Again, a few weeks ago, maybe you could make the case to remove Rugnet Odor from the 26, but since it's just the 40-man roster, I think Rugnet Odor is pretty safe. In terms of where Gunnar Henderson will play, look, third base and second base are pretty much the only options at this point. We talked about Jorge Mateo on a previous podcast and how well he has played this year. I don't think you can move Jorge Mateo off of shortstop. I think he keeps his everyday spot. And I think we'll probably see Gunnar Henderson bounce between third base and second base because Ramon Rios and Rugnet Odor have both really struggled since the All-Star break. It's not just Rugnet Odor. Ramon Rios has had a better season overall, but has not been good over the last month plus. He's still great defensively over at third, 
So maybe we see Gunnar Henderson get some more time at second base, but Taryn Vavra is there too. So it's a little bit crowded, and I would expect Henderson to bounce around. Yeah, third base feels like a natural spot if you want to platoon Urias, who is a righty. Gunnar Henderson is a lefty. I will say Urias so far this year does have reverse splits. So that makes it a little bit more complex, but we've seen the Orioles do this in the past. Remember, Kyle Stowers had reverse splits in the minors. The Orioles have used him as a platoon against right-handed pitchers nonetheless. They haven't given him too many opportunities against lefties simply because his minor league numbers tell you a different story. So maybe he gets used at third base. The Orioles will find a way to put him in the lineup nearly every day. This isn't a Kyle Stowers. This isn't a Taron Vavra. Guys who are not top 100 prospects. Not only is Gunnar Henderson a top 100 prospect, top 50 prospect, top 25 prospect, he's a top five prospect in all of baseball. Top so, two. Top two, some would say, according to ML, or Baseball America, not MLB Pipeline. So he is going to get opportunities nearly every single day in this lineup. And the Orioles will find a spot for him. And we have to just wait and see what Brandon Hyde is going to do on a night-in and night-out basis because it could be third base, it could be second base, it could be shortstop, it could be DH. But he's going to be in this lineup because, again, you're looking forward to next year. And if you don't give him enough opportunities at the end of this year, you could be kind of wasting a call up here. You want to give him these opportunities, whether he makes the most of them or not, production-wise. I mean, I th- look, I think Gunnar Henderson needs to start almost every day, whether it's at second base or third base. This isn't Taron Vavra. This isn't Kyle Stowers. Neither of those guys were in top 100 prospect rankings. Gunnar Henderson is the number one prospect, according to Baseball America, and the number two prospect, according to MLB Pipeline. I don't think he is quite the prospect that Adley Rutschman was, because Adley Rutschman was just a a different kind of player. But Gunnar Henderson is still among the top prospects in all of baseball. And I think if you are calling him up at this point, that's a guy who needs to get pretty much every day at bats. Ramon Arias shouldn't be blocking him. Rugnet Odor shouldn't be blocking him. I understand that there's only a month left of the season, and Gunnar Henderson is probably going to struggle a little bit, as we mentioned, but he is too good of a prospect to treat like a Taron Vavra or a Kyle Stowers. This is a different kind of talent, and I think he needs to start pretty much every day. So that answers some Gunner questions. The DL Hall questions are different because, one, we've already seen him in the big leagues. He was used in a spot start in Tampa Bay, then was sent back down to AAA Norfolk and converted to a reliever, and now he is returning to the big leagues as a reliever. And Michael Elias said, in Houston a few days ago that, quote, he's got a lot of le- lot left to do developmentally to be a successful starter in the big leagues. We're not going to see him as a starter unless some major injury happens over the final month of the season. We're going to see him as a reliever. I think they still would like to use him as a starter in 2023, and maybe he lights the world on fire in spring training in Sarasota in 2023, and then we're talking about him in the same conversation as Grayson Rodriguez and Kyle Bradish as locks for this rotation. But right now, he needs to prove himself that he has the command and he can keep those walks down because those are still major question marks that D.L. Hall has to answer. And he's going to get a good opportunity to do so, albeit out of the bullpen. And he's been a weird reliever in Norfolk. He has pitched six and two-thirds innings, has allowed three runs, but opponents are hitting 087 
with an OPS of 372. He's allowed just two hits, struck out 11, but he has walked five. I mean, that's pretty much what we expect. And has an ERA over four. That's that's the story of DL. How do you allow two hits and have an ERA over four? It's the walks. Right. I mean, it's it's plain and simple. That is the area of his game he needs to improve upon. We saw it briefly in the big leagues in Tampa Bay where he starts out the game with five straight balls. And I get it. That's his first big league start. He's going to be... High energy, he's going to be a little wild. Everybody is, even the guys with the most pinpoint control. But he has to get those walks under control. That can't be an issue where he's coming out of the bullpen, i.e. Tanner Scott, and throwing five straight balls, getting the leadoff guy in an inning on base, and then having to work his way around that guy. Right. He has to establish himself from the jump as throwing consistent strikes. We saw Felix Bautista do it. Out of the bullpen last year. Now he's a little bit older. He's 26, 27. And he had six walks per nine in the minors last year. And he solved that problem. And he has been electric this year. D.L. Hall has to learn a little bit from the school of Felix Bautista. And understand that he has to throw consistent strikes in order to get big league hitters to chase when he goes out of the zone. And it's still kind of a weird experiment here with D.L. Hall making him a reliever at the big league level with the ultimate goal of him still becoming a starter and spending time at AAA Norfolk trying to get him to the point where he can be a reliable reliever. It's still an odd scenario, but this is the one that the Orioles are going with. But as you mentioned, the command issues just need to get figured out because he won't be a successful reliever if he is walking everyone and he won't be a successful starter if he's walking everyone. As I mentioned, six and two-thirds innings as a reliever in Norfolk with three earned runs, but he's only allowed two hits. One of them was a double, and that 4.05 ERA is solely coming from just putting guys on base with the walk numbers. Five walks in six and two-thirds innings. Yes, he has 11 strikeouts. Yes, opponents are hitting under 100 in that stretch, but he can't keep putting guys on base. Walks or singles. It's the same thing. This is a conversation that is probably best kept for a later podcast, but I'm looking ahead to 2023, and I'm saying Grayson Rodriguez, who we'll talk about in a minute, is fully healthy. He could be in your opening day rotation. Kyle Bradish certainly has shown enough to keep him in your opening day rotation. John Means is going to join that team hopefully by midseason, maybe May, June. You're already going to have, I think, Dean Kramer is a good candidate to be in that rotation. Heck, Spencer Watkins and Austin Voth have been outstanding. Yeah, how do you take them out? D.L. Hall might have an uphill climb to be in your opening day rotation 2023, which a few months ago, at the beginning of the season, I thought would have thought, that's ridiculous. Right. But it's a combination of the guys that they already have performing incredibly well, and D.L. Hall, frankly, struggling when he has been given plenty of opportunity to correct his mistakes. So... Again, I, I don't want to slow, limit this guy's ceiling. I think he still could be very effective out of the bullpen for the final month of the season if he harnesses his stuff. But the conversation of D.L. Hall has changed slightly over the past several months. I think it has, but I'm still not ready to adjust my expectations for D.L. Hall too much. I think I still expect D.L. Hall to be a solid rotation arm, Maybe before I thought he was going to be a number two and maybe the lack of success at AAA Norfolk this year has said, okay, maybe he's more of a number two, number three. 
but I'm still not panicking on DL Hall. This stuff is still excellent. We have seen what the Orioles' big league pitching staff has been able to do even with struggles in the past. Maybe the pitching coaches at the big league level can do similar things with D.L. Hall as they did with Felix Batista, who had worse command issues than D.L. Hall. Way worse command issues than D.L. Hall. And Vivek on YouTube also making a good point. The Brewers implemented a similar strategy with Corbin Burns, starting him in the bullpen. And of course, he has become an excellent pitcher, one of the best in all of baseball. So this is not a, a freaking out scenario with D.L. Hall. I think it's probably just a bit more of an uphill battle than either of us anticipated coming into this season. I, I don't think I'm freaking out. I don't think I'm trying to panic. I just am. I'm, I think the ceiling is still there. He is still 23, turns 24 in a few weeks. But I do think that he is behind the developmental curve more than we thought. And again, it, it guys develop at different rates. We've seen Cedric Mullins is the ultimate case of patience, of waiting for the guy to turn into what you think he can be. And we saw even Dean Kramer, who looked great in 2020, really struggle in 2021, and then bounce all the way back to be a very good starter in 2022. So the ceiling is still there, but perhaps he's not quite as far along as we thought he was. And you compare him to Grayson Rodriguez, who has just been outstanding. I mean, there's been nothing, really no knocks you could have on Grayson Rodriguez in really any step of the journey. All of his questions he has answered, and he's two years younger than D.L. Hall. So he is the case of this is why this guy's a top five prospect in all of baseball, top ten. There's a reason that Grayson Rodriguez is who he is, and D.L. Hall just isn't quite that pitcher just yet. But I think if we're not going to quite compare maybe Gunnar Henderson to Adley Rutschman, I don't think it's fair to compare D.L. Hall to Grayson Rodriguez. Right, they're two, I, they're I, two different pitchers. That's just two different pitchers. It's, it's impossible to compare anybody to Grayson Rodriguez. Right. I mean, the, he is literally the best pitching prospect in baseball for a reason. Right. Um, he, he doesn't come around very often. But I will say, D.L. Hall has more raw talent than pretty much anybody in this Orioles pitching staff right now. Because, I, the, I, I mean, the that. stuff yeah. is there... And so if the Orioles pitching coaches can turn, look, this is no knock on guys like Spencer Watkins and Austin Voth. Those are still talented pitchers. They just don't have the raw talent that D.L. Hall has. Yeah. And if this, these pitching coaches at the big league level have been able to make very successful starters out of guys like Spencer Watkins and Austin Voth, there's no reason for me to believe that they can't do great things with somebody as talented as D.L. Hall. I'd agree. All right, that's D.L. Hall and Gunnar Henderson. I think we'll have plenty more to talk about once those guys are officially added to the Orioles roster. But let's talk about some minor leaguers. Let's talk about Colton Kowser and Joey Ortiz getting the bump up from A Bowie to A Norfolk. Kowser is on a fast track to the big leagues. It is incredible the kind of production that he put up in Bowie to get himself to a place where he could be in Norfolk by season's end, and not just by season's end. We're not talking about a week left in the season. He's getting his feet wet. Nice little fun opportunity in AAA. Colton Kowser is getting a full month with AAA Norfolk because he was hitting the cover off the ball with AA Bowie. After struggling for the first couple months of the season with high single-A Aberdeen, Colton Kowser deserves this call-up. And boy, maybe he is farther along than we thought at the beginning of the year. Yeah, remember when he was hitting 258 in single yeah. A? With four homers and a nine and a 795 OPS and 62 
games with high single-A Aberdeen. There were discussions early on in the year. I don't think either of us were incredibly concerned with Colton Kowser. We thought that he would pick it up. But there were certainly question marks about the fact that somebody who was supposed to be a super high contact guy with good power, good speed, all of those things, was only hitting 258 against competition that he should have been mashing at single A. And it almost seems like when he got to Bowie, because the pitchers had a better command of the strike zone, Colton Kowser was able to have a better command of the strike zone at the plate. I think he was performing better against higher quality pitching because those pitchers were just giving him, were almost challenging him a little bit more in the strike zone, and he was able to do more damage with those pitches in the strike zone. Prince George's Stadium is a little bit more of a hitter's park than Lido's Field at Ripken Stadium, so that could be also partly due to that, but that doesn't fully explain going from a 258 average to a 341, going from four homers in 62 games to 10 homers in 49 games and a 1.037 OPS. Really, the only part of his game that dropped off from Aberdeen to Bowie is the stolen bases, which 16 stolen bases in 62 games in Aberdeen, we thought that was a ridiculously high number for Colton Kowser with only two caught stealings, by the way. So clearly, he was figuring something out on the base pass and taking advantage of perhaps some less experienced pitchers there. And he did, hasn't quite done that. He's only had two stolen bases so far in Bowie. Also could be due to the fact that he has 20 extra base hits out of 60 hits in Bowie. So you're not going to be stealing a whole lot of third base. And you obviously can't steal any bases when you're hitting home runs. So that could be due to, the, due to that as well. But other than that, other than the stolen base total, every single number jumped up from Colton Kowser's time in Aberdeen to Colton Kowser's time in Bowie. I'm going to nitpick with Colton Kowser. The splits against left-handed pitching, again, it's kind of a Gunnar Henderson thing where it doesn't hurt him in his overall numbers because his splits against right-handed pitching are so good. But 13 of his 14 homers this year have come against right-handed pitching. He's hitting under 200 against lefties. The on-base percentage is still pretty good. It's a little bit over 300. So he's still getting his walks against left-handed pitching. But it's still a concern once you get up to AAA Norfolk, where same thing with Gunnar Henderson. He got up to AAA, and those splits were pretty bad, but he did improve a little bit, actually, against lefties at AAA. Hopefully, Colton Kowser can do the same thing, but that's something to look at. And Colton Kowser did go 0 for 5 with three strikeouts while leading off last night for AAA Norfolk, so there's going to be an adjustment period. Sure. He's 22 years old, but he clearly was ready for the next step. And if he can solve those issues in his game, like hitting lefties a little bit better, then I think that we're looking at 2023, maybe midseason as a potential call-up time for Colton Kowser. Yeah, I don't think that's unrealistic at all. This is a polished college hitter who had an advanced approach at the plate. That approach has obviously translated to AA Bowie. Hopefully it will translate to AAA Norfolk as well. But he's going to start the year, presumably, at AAA Norfolk again next season. And I can't imagine that if he is successful for the first half of the year, that you would want to keep him at AAA Norfolk for an entire season. So I don't think a mid-year call-up to Baltimore next year is outlandish by any stretch. The only question is, will the Orioles have room? In their outfield for him. That's a conversation for another day. Or do you just make room for him? You you might have to. He could be rising up some prospect rankings. Frankly, I think that he has been underrated 
according to some outlets. One guy who is further down on the Orioles' prospect rankings, Colton Kowser is the Orioles' fifth-ranked or number four-ranked prospect, according to MLB Pipeline. Joey Ortiz, number 19, according to MLB Pipeline. Some other outlets have him a little bit higher. Keith Law. Keith Law does have him a little bit higher. Ortiz went from hitting 211 with four home runs and a 614 OPS in his first 61 games with Bowie to 338 with 11 homers and a 1.004 OPS. Weirdly enough, the day that Colton Kowser got called up to double-A Bowie from high single-A Aberdeen was June 28th. That's when Colton Kowser started to absolutely mash the ball when he got that call up. That's when Joey Ortiz flipped a switch. I don't know if it was the rising tide lifts all boats method or if Colton Kowser gave Joey Ortiz some kind of pep talk that turned his game around. But weirdly enough, that day was a catalyst for both Joey Ortiz and Colton Kowser to turn their seasons around. Yeah, it was a health thing for Joey Ortiz. Got the chance to talk to him a few weeks ago in Bowie, and he pretty much said he hadn't been fully healthy for a large majority of the season, and when he started to turn things around, that's when he was feeling pretty close back to 100%. He said he's still even not 100% yet, but has gotten close. He had shoulder surgery at the end of last season, and has kind of been playing through that recovery for much of the year this year. So, obviously, if you are playing through injury, your numbers are not going to be as good as they would be if you were healthy. That's just kind of obvious there. But Joey Ortiz, I think at the beginning of the year, we were a little bit surprised that he wasn't keeping pace with Gunnar Henderson or with Jordan Westberg. Not that he was quite the quality of prospect, with those two, but coming into the year, we looked at Double A Bowie and just said, "Wow, those are some amazing shortstops there." And Joey Ortiz kind of fell off from where Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg were. But now that he's fully healthy, the defense has always been spectacular. He probably has one of, if not the best, gloves in the entirety of the Orioles farm system. He is probably the best and most polished shortstop. And if the bat can keep up with how good the defense is, or even if it's just an average bat, I mean, that's a dude at the major league level, potentially, because the defense is so good. It seems to me like if you were thinking about calling up somebody because of an injury, Joey Ortiz maybe next year gives you a player with an immediate high floor because of how good the defense is, and you're just hoping for average production at the plate. He's 24 years old, so he's two years older than Colton Kowser, older than some of the other prospects. So this AAA Norfolk call-up was deserving also because of his age. You mentioned his glove tool. MLB Pipeline gives him a 65-grade field tool, but is only 45 in terms of power or only 50 in terms of power, only 45 in terms of hit. I'm interested to see if the power sticks because he did get a little bit more healthy. John Mioli wrote an article about how he changed his hand position as well, and that made some positive gains for him at the plate. Helped him hit 11 homers in his last 40, 50 games as opposed to beginning of the season when he hit four homers in his first 61 games. I'm interested to see if that power sticks. Because he really never hit, he never hit more than eight home runs in a single season with New Mexico State when he played for them. And he has never shown the ability, he's a small guy, to hit a ton of home runs. 
I think home runs are going to be important. Power is going to be an important tool for him. I also do worry a little bit about his speed because you think of a shortstop, you think of a guy with a great glove at shortstop in particular, you'd like to see a little bit more speed than what he has given you. He's really only had a couple stolen bases so far this year. So ideally, when you are creating an archetype and you have a Richie Martin or a guy of that type, a versatile middle infielder who can give you quality defense and maybe a little pop with the bat, You'd like him to be a little bit more of a factor on the base paths. Because Joey Ortiz doesn't quite have that, I think that lowers his ceiling just a little bit. So he's going to have to hit to make up for maybe a slightly diminished run tool. But I will say, even though the run tool is a little bit lower, it doesn't seem to impact his range at shortstop at all. No, his defense is... incredibly rangy, and the defense is really off the charts. Yeah. And... Look, Joey Ortiz might not turn into an everyday starter at shortstop for the Orioles at the big league level solely because of how much talent the Orioles have at that position between, well, now Jorge Mateo, Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westberg, and a potential free agent. He may not become an everyday starter, but Joey Ortiz, I think if you're looking at a potential call-up for next year, gives you somebody that can be a utility infielder and give you great defense at hopefully any spot, whether it's shortstop, second base, or third. He also did have two hits, including a double and two RBIs in his AAA debut last night in a very, very crowded AAA Norfolk infield. So yeah. Joey Ortiz will hopefully be able to climb up. And it maybe at some point, you know, he is not a lock to be in the big leagues. As much of a Colton Kowser was pretty much a lock, top five pick, the MLB draft, going to be in the big leagues almost definitely. Ortiz is not 100% that he will get there, but I think if he does get there, it could be sporadically in 2023. Like you said, Brendan, if the Orioles need a defensive replacement, they might call him up, send him back down. It might be a little bit of a riding the bus back and forth from Norfolk to Baltimore type situation, but I don't think that necessarily is a bad thing. I think that he could benefit from spending a little bit of time in both locations next year. Yeah, absolutely. I think he could potentially bounce back and forth because he's an easy plug-and-play. Even if the offense isn't fantastic, you know that you have the floor of the defense, which is always valuable. All right, one more potential promotion that I think we could see coming very soon. Connor Norby. Same draft class as Colton Kowser was called up to double-A buoy at the same time as Colton Kowser. And he had three hits last night, including two homers and four RBIs. He's got, what, 22, 23 home runs on the season so far? Yeah. Raised his batting average to 299 with a 968 OPS in 49 games with Bowie. If it weren't for such a crowded infield in Norfolk, I think we could be seeing Norby on the same path as Colton Kowser because those numbers are just as good Almost, I mean, 341 batting average for Colton Kowser, not quite as good. But a 299 batting average and a 968 OPS, that should get you to Norfolk sooner rather than later. Yeah, I was kind of surprised when Connor Norby didn't get the call along with Colton Kowser and Joey Ortiz. And like you mentioned, if the Orioles didn't have such a crowded infield at AAA Norfolk, Connor Norby probably gets that call. And maybe Gunnar Henderson getting promoted opens up a potential second base starter position in Norfolk, but I think AAA is just too crowded for Norby to even get consistent playing time at this point. There are just so many guys there that I suppose it's probably just better for Norby's development to get every day at bats at AA than it is for him to maybe just 
not play every day at AAA, but he should be playing yeah. every day at AAA. He should be getting priority over Jonathan Arauz or Richie Martin. Or Caden Grenier. I mean, right. I think that the the kind of crowded discussion could get overblown, perhaps, because it's not incredibly difficult to remove a guy who isn't on a big league 40-man roster like a Caden Grenier. We saw what the Orioles did with Patrick Dorian. They shipped him off to the Brewers because he was taking up a spot that could have been used on one of their higher-ranked prospects. So I, I think that they could make room for him. I think they maybe didn't think he was quite ready, and now he is going out on a mission saying, okay, I'll have three hits and two homers for Bowie and prove to you that I, I am I think ready. it was a tr- – the other hit was a triple, was it wasn't a triple? It? I think wow. so. So three extra base hits. Yeah. Not bad at all. No. Uh, so I think he could be on his way up fairly soon and – I think by season's end, if he continues to hit like this again. Sure. Somebody in our chat also asking about Heston Kerstad and how he has performed. We really haven't talked a whole lot about Heston Kerstad. He's struggling a little bit with high single-A Aberdeen. To be expected, it's been a long time since he's played everyday games. He's not even playing every day, but he's playing more than he did in the two full years that he was off recovering from his health issues. Right now, with high single-A Aberdeen in 33 games, he's got a 214 batting average and a 624 OPS. So he is struggling to be expected again. I think that this year is less about the stats for Heston Kerstad and more about getting him back to the baseball rhythm. Right. And maybe looking forward to building himself up in the offseason. And 2023 is a clean slate. Yeah, and we aren't really talking too much about Heston Kerstad, like you mentioned, because of the fact that we aren't expecting great numbers. I mean, Heston Kerstad, we expected to struggle a little bit as he got promoted because he hasn't played much professional baseball. I mean, this is somebody who overcame great obstacles to even get to this point. So the fact that we are seeing Heston Kerstad get playing time in Aberdeen is awesome. Got a, a, that is the conclusion of the day. And uh, Paul, please. Dun, 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 dun. Not oh a boy. softball update. Breaking news. Oh, boy. Thanks to Tim Leonard for alerting us of this. Gunnar Henderson is not just on the taxi squad. Oh, boy. Gunnar Henderson has had his contract selected. Oh, boy. From AAA Norfolk. It's official. Oh. Gunnar Henderson is a big leaguer. Oh, man. He will wear number two, and his first appearance will be his major league debut. Oh, boy. They have optioned Tyler Nevin to Norfolk, and they have designated Denji Reyes for assignment. So, take that entire first half of the podcast. Throw it away. Crumple it up. Throw it out. I was wrong and a dumb little idiot. How the Orioles would have to move two guys. They'd have to take somebody off of the 26 and the 40-man roster. They'd have to make two roster moves if they wanted to add Gunnar Henderson before tomorrow. Well, guess what? They did that. Tyler Nevin is heading back down to AAA Norfolk. It's pretty clear he was not getting everyday starts. Not enough starts, I would say. And he was struggling at the plate. I know he's really your only true backup first baseman. But Tyler Nevin gets sent back down, and Denji Reyes, who was in the minor leagues, and he was frankly struggling, even though he's 25, 26 years old, is designated for assignment. So either the Orioles are hoping that he can clear waivers and return, or they're comfortable leaving him out there exposed. And Gunnar Henderson is not a September 1st call-up. Gunnar Henderson is an August 31st call-up. Wow. He is going to be a big leaguer, perhaps in his first big league lineup tonight. I like the move. I mean, look, 
we were partially right at the beginning of the podcast. I, I will give us some credit no, there. Crumple it up. Crumple it up. We did say that if the Orioles were to make a 40-man roster move, it would more than likely be either a bullpen arm in AAA that was struggling a little bit or an infielder that the Orioles just didn't really need to hang on to. It becomes Denji Reyes, who had been struggling at AAA Norfolk. He is now removed from the 40-man roster. And when you're looking at the 26 and what will be the 28-man roster tomorrow, we've talked about Gunnar Henderson as potentially playing a lot of third base and maybe some second base as well. If Tyler Nevin was going to get reps at the big league level, it was going to be as a backup third baseman when Ramona Rios needed an off day. This is before Gunnar Henderson. If, if Ramona Rios needed an off day at third, Tyler Nevin was going to play there. And maybe if Ryan Mountcastle needed an off day at first, Tyler Nevin would be your backup there. This is a little bit interesting because I, I like it in terms of the fact that Tyler Nevin will be able to go back to AAA Norfolk, get some more consistent at-bats, which he was not getting at the major league level. In fairness, he didn't really need to show you anything else at AAA because he was absolutely mashing there but has not performed well enough at the big league level to get consistent playing time. And if Gunnar Henderson is going to play a lot of third base, that eliminates most of the opportunities that Tyler Nevin would have had at the big league level to get, frankly, the minimal at-bats that he was already getting to begin with. I think the question here becomes, who is your backup first baseman? And are they comfortable enough with Gunnar Henderson to play backup first base, or does it become... Adley Rutschman, Anthony Santander, who is your backup first baseman right now? I think the other question is, who are the Orioles adding on September 1st? Yeah. They're adding D.L. Hall, we assume. Now, they didn't add D.L. Hall today, so perhaps he's your September 1st call-up. Looks like he's probably going to stay on the... Grayson Rodriguez. The taxi squad. They can only add one pitcher, and Grace, and D.L. <laughs> Hall will be the other one. Obviously, we'll talk about Grayson in a little bit, but, Brendan, that's simply absurd. It is, uh, and I'm going to say it anyway because uh, it's fun. The, they have a spot now for a position player. Is UCL Diaz going to get a call back up? Is Brett Phillips going to be rejoining the Orioles after hitting a home run for AAA Norfolk last Colton night? Colton Kowser. Nah, I'm just saying stuff You're now. just starting uh, a fire that you don't need to start because I am. Orioles fans are finally going to get off the back of Mike Elias for calling up Gunnar Henderson, and you're just making more work for— I, I'm just saying You're making life now. harder for yeah. Mike Elias. Wow, exciting stuff. We're going to be we're tweeting at the same time that we're uh, we're doing this. We're so. sure trying. We're trying to. Brendan, there's things that I wanted to talk about on this podcast that w we really have to sneak in here. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to talk about Grayson Rodriguez. Let's I'd like sneak to, him. Real quick, though, Judd Fabian very quickly getting the call up to uh, double or high single-A Aberdeen. That's awesome. Low single-A Delmarva. Thumbs up. He turns 22 in about a month, so... He's right around Colton Kowser's age, so deserving that he, age-wise, and also he was absolutely mashing the ball, had three homers in 10 games uh, for high single A Aberdeen. We just saw him a few weeks ago, or a week ago, in Delmarva. He's already going to be playing in the outfield for Aberdeen, so exciting. Yeah, three homers, seven doubles, two triples in 10 games. OPS over 1.3. Get him up. Next. Or Orioles already number 25 prospect. And then Daryl Hernays. Another guy that we should discuss real quickly doesn't get enough love. No. Frankly, on this podcast and other places, I know we've mentioned him before, but he's just 21 years old. Orioles number 18 prospect. He is going up from high single A Aberdeen to double A Bowie. Remember, he was a fifth round pick out of high school in 2019. He hit 284 with six homers, 
nine stolen bases and an 852 OPS in Delmarva. He got the call up to Aberdeen. And he hit 305 with five homers and an 832 OPS in 60 games with Bowie with 22 stolen bases, Brendan. Yeah. 22 stolen bases in 60 games. Very versatile defensively. Can play third base, shortstop, second base. And it's exciting because Michael Elias has not drafted many high schoolers in his tenure with the Orioles, but did say leading up to this draft where he took Jackson Holiday that if the right high schooler was on the board, they would take that high schooler. Daryl Hernandez obviously not as high of a draft pick as Jackson Holiday, but he was clearly a high schooler that the Orioles liked a lot. They were able to snag him in the fifth round, and he's an exciting young talent. And finally, we're talking about all these top prospects. We talked about Grayson, or we talked about DL Hall, rather. We talked about Colton Cowser. Let's talk about Grayson Rodriguez. Talked to him yesterday with high single A Aberdeen as he is on his rehab circuit, going a similar path as we saw Adley Rutschman and DL Hall do at the beginning of the year. So he's starting out in Aberdeen, probably only going to pitch a few innings, I would think, on Thursday. And then I think he said, we'll see what happens after that. But it seemed like Bowie isn't too far ahead. Whether they give him one or two starts in Aberdeen is to be determined. But I think Bowie is going to be awfully close. I can't imagine that the plan isn't to go one start in Aberdeen, one start in Bowie, and then finish him out for the season at AAA Norfolk. Grayson Rodriguez wanted to keep the door open for a big league promotion, this year said that that was still the ultimate goal, that he wanted to be up at the majors this year. I really don't think that's going to happen. I think Grayson Rodriguez is in your opening day starting rotation next season, but I would be incredibly surprised if he gets a call up to the big leagues this year. There's just no need to push him. This is not only your best pitching prospect in the organization, but the best pitching prospect in all of baseball there is no point to rush him back from injury to try to push him to get back to the major leagues this year. I think you get him up to AAA Norfolk within the next two or three starts, and then he finishes the season there, and you are content with just hoping that Grayson Rodriguez is getting close to back to 100%, and that's how you finish out the season with a look ahead to spring training. There's also no need to add him to the 40-man because he's not on the 40-man now. They don't have to do that for a while, so... Why take away a spot from somebody right near the end of the season to get, what, a few innings from Grayson Rodriguez probably out of the bullpen in the big leagues? I mean, he probably wouldn't be asked to start a game in September, you know, it, because his pitch count won't be worked up. He won't have the, you know, arm stamina at this point to do that. So I don't think that it's necessary to add him to the 40-man then go into the offseason with one fewer spot when you're looking at, protecting guys from the Rule 5 draft when you're looking at taking guys in the Rule 5 draft. So I think that it's just keep him down in the minors for now. I know he wants to get there. That's a credit to his fire. As he said, the fire burns a little bit hotter right now because he has seen D.L. Hall. He has seen now Gunnar Henderson. He has seen Adley Rutschman with the big league club. But he is awfully close. Camden is pretty close, is what he said. Yes. It's not there yet, and that's okay. We're going to see him soon. It's not going to be tomorrow, and I would be shocked if it was this year. But then again, Michael Elias has shocked us with many things. That he has. But again, backtracking a little bit and going back to the, 
the Gunnar Henderson move from today, which we are reacting to live, the fact that they have taken Tyler Nevin off of the 26-man roster, he has been optioned to AAA Norfolk, opens up the discussion, which we can't spend too much time on because we have gone on to this podcast for over 50 minutes now. But it is a question. Who gets called up on that for that other spot on September 1st alongside DL Hall? There are a lot of names. Uh, YouTube wants me to say that Jackson Holiday will get the call up tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, that That's not going to happen. Maybe, look, I know this is a name that Orioles fans are probably maybe a little skeptical of, but DJ Stewart has been mashing at AAA Norfolk for the entire season. He's got an on-base percentage of like 390. Would you have him play first? Has an OPS of 880. Maybe he's your backup first baseman. Can he play it? Has he played it at all in AAA Norfolk? Good question. Maybe. I think at this point, it's probably a Yusniel Diaz or more likely a Brett Phillips. He has played first base at AAA Norfolk. How many games? Five. <laughs> That's okay. enough for me. All right. Uh, I would tend to think it's probably going to be a Brett Phillips. If I could I'm, see Brett if Phillips. I'm guessing, just because I know their outfield is crowded, but look, you have a 28-man roster. Everything's going to be crowded. It has to be a position player anyway. The infield's going to be crowded with Gunnar Henderson. Maybe so. a third catcher? You could have a third catcher. I don't know how the taxi squad rules, I'll be honest, work the rest of the way. I don't think you need a third catcher if you have somebody on the taxi squad. Yeah, I don't think you, you know? need one either. I think a third catcher would probably only be if Adley Rutschman is your backup first baseman. Right. And the Orioles said they really want to, Brandon Hyde said he really wants to avoid having Adley play first base. But it's an interesting question that, I mean, Tyler Nevin didn't have a massive role on the major league team, but now Ryan Mountcastle does not have a natural backup. Dustin asking if you could get the call up? Maybe. I think your arm is better suited for an outfield spot, let's be honest. I would agree. I don't think you quite have the range. I don't know if I'm the body type for a first baseman. Can you? Yeah, can you pick a, a ball in the dirt? I sure can, but probably not as well as you would need a backup first baseman to. I dropped a ball, softball, in the outfield. I should have dove. I, I thought about it. I didn't drop it. It just kind of one-hopped me in right field the other day, and uh, I've been replaying that every day in my mind. So. As you should. And I think Mike Elias saw that, turned around, and walked away. And said, Paul's was, not getting the call. There was a guy there who looked exactly like Rob Manfred, who was watching our softball game. And I thought, boy, this is Manfred scouting some talent. Yeah. It Maybe must, making some it calls must to have some been. GMs. Sure. That was my shot, and I blew it. <laughs> yeah. uh, we have to go do social things and cover not social interaction. We don't do no, any we, that. No, we don't do social that at all. media things. Uh, for Gunnar Henderson's call-up, we're excited. Perhaps we'll see with the lineup in a few hours. Maybe he is going to be making his big league debut in Cleveland tonight. Woo. We will have full coverage at Mass and Orioles, of course, on Twitter, Facebook, all of your social media platforms. At Brendan Morty is his Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancano. Please rate, review, subscribe this podcast, share it with your friends. We'd love to get more people on board with the Mass and All Access podcast. Thanks to Tim Leonard for producing this, and we will catch you next time.